If God is speaking to you, you should listen. Now that rolls off my tongue so easily, and I can say, if God's speaking to you, you should listen. But stop for just a moment and put that into perspective. I firmly believe that God is God. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And to put that into perspective of of him versus me, or you can even put yourself in there, of you, and how important, but really in reality, in comparison to this universe and the vastness of this world, let alone the vastness of just our community, and we realize that we are but little, tiny little specks. And the creator of the universe says, not only do I know who you are, as in I am aware of your existence. God says, I know you and I love you and I care for you enough to say, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to mold you and shape you and guide you through the Bible, through the Holy Spirit. And that right there changes that simple statement of if God is speaking, you should listen to something saying, wow. The creator of the universe says, I have something for you. In the book of Isaiah, chapter number 55, verses 8 and 9, Isaiah puts it into perspective by quoting God. And God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I am grateful that I don't have to come up with all the ideas. I'm grateful that everything in this life isn't dependent upon our vast brain power or limited brain power. We can go and say, God, where are you leading Another way of saying that is, where are you speaking? And many of you have, have, have experienced that for yourself, and you have made major choices in your life. You've migrated countries. You start businesses. You begin relationships. You speak to people that you had never previously spoken to. You do things where other people look at and go, you're crazy. What are you thinking? And you think, God has called me, and he's guiding me, and therefore, with confidence, I'm going to move forward. If God is speaking, you should listen. I realize that God's ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your thoughts. And it's kind of like a teacher with a student. Some of you are starting Wednesday. Some of you are starting Thursday. I think one school in our community is starting next Monday. Lazy people. And they're starting next Monday. You sit with the students and the teachers. I realize this is all like idealistically. You have a plan and you know what you're doing, and you have it all sorted out, and you say, follow me, students, through the course of this year, and I will teach you what you need to learn. I will show you what you need to see. We will go through this journey together, and at the end of this, you will graduate successfully, all with A pluses. That's kind of similar with God. God says, I'm not just sitting back saying, work it out for yourself. He's saying, I'm going to guide you along. I know where I'm going. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Just follow me along the journey together. This church in this real city in what's modern day Greece, 
in ancient times it was an area called Macedonia and it's called Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was a very affluent city. It was a Roman province and it had a lot of freedom. It had, as far as esteemed by other cities, it was well regarded. It was very close to Mount Olympus. So the Greek mythology and those false gods that was very prevalent in their community. And the gospel came into that community and turned them upside down. And as a result of that, in a very short period of time, people came to know Christ as their Savior. A church was established. And now the Apostle Paul is writing them a letter we know as First Thessalonians to the church that's in Thessalonica. And there's another book of the Bible called Second Thessalonians, which was written later on to the same church by the same author, a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is writing in a very personal way. He's not writing and saying, you people should just go do this while I sit here on my grand throne. He says, I'm down here with you. And we're doing this together. Your hurts are my hurts. Your successes, go. I'm behind you and I'm thrilled for you. I'm cheering you along the way. But there's also areas he's saying, I want to encourage you, but also want to correct you. And this church is known as a model church. So as we look at this over the course of the last several weeks, we've seen and we use the analogy of a, of a telephone like God calling. They answered God's call. They accepted God's plan. They were example to God's people. They were motivated by God's work. And today we're adding to that by they know God's ways. Something I find quite remarkable about this young church. Comparatively, they were actually a very young as in maturity. They hadn't known Christ as their Savior very long. So all that they were doing was saying, what do we know? So we're going to do what it is that God has called us to do. There's 50,000 things we don't know, but we're just going to do what it is that we do know that we're supposed to do. And as a result of that, they changed remarkably, and their whole community changed. So the Apostle Paul is writing to them, encouraging them. Our principle for today is this. God's ways allow me to live for an eternal purpose. God's ways allow me to live for an eternal purpose. Let's turn that upside down. What's the opposite of that? My ways allow me to live very short term. And you may think, well, I get to live 70, 80, 100 years here on earth. Compared to eternity, that is but just a moment. And uh, some of you are celebrating birthdays today. And as you look back upon your life, you think, what happened to my life? Where have the years gone by? And compared to eternity, it's but just a moment. So the opposite of God's ways allow me to live for an eternal purpose, the opposite would be my ways allow me to live very, very short term. We're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verses 9 through 12. And as we read those verses, I want you to notice there's three statements that are underlined on the screen. Those are you statements. So the Apostle Paul is writing here and saying, I'm on your side, I'm behind you. And he gives them three statements. So let's begin reading in verse number nine. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Another you statement. You are witnesses. And God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. 
And the third you statement is in verse 11. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And the last little phrase is is critically important to our application today. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God has changed your life by the gospel Not so you can continue to live in the short term, but now we can change our perspective and live for eternity and live with an eternal perspective. That's why it says he's called you into his own kingdom and glory. Now we're thinking big picture. So that principle again, God's ways allow me to live for an eternal purpose. That statement that I want you to model around in your mind, if God is speaking to you, you should Listen, now there's no falling asleep today, right? Let's make some application for our lives. We're going to make two points of application this morning. And as we do that, I have two W words. The first word is the word work. Work, and the statement is God's work is hard work. I'm sorry. I really wish I could find in the Bible where it says, the moment that you are saved, life is easy. And no more fights with your spouse. The kids are perfect. The bills are always paid. And everything is smooth and easy. And it's never cloudy outside. But I'm afraid God's work we find in the Bible, it's hard work. But there's a statement I want to give you at the end. God's work is hard work, but it's worth it. And if we don't finish off that sentence by saying it's worth it, we can become overwhelmed with our work, and we can think, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and we add to the burden. In verse number 9 it says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day. The apostle Paul, by profession, was what's known as a tent maker. And he had the trade of, of making and cutting out and sewing together tents. And that was his physical trade. So he worked not only in the ministry, but he also worked on the, on the side to support himself physically. It was extra and hard work. He uses the word there, labor and toil. I looked those words up. They literally mean tiring, sore, hurtful painful and as i was thinking about that now personally i've never given birth (laughs) but i've watched it a few times especially the first child because my first child had a a a beautifully misproportionally shaped head he made my wife labor for like 24 hours before they end up having to do an emergency c-section because of his beautifully proportioned head we went through that all long labor and the, the, the kind words my wife said to me in my, in, in encouraging me and, and, and how much she loved me at that time and the squeezing and crushing of my hand. I had to take my ring off because she crushed my hand so much. You go through that and then afterwards they hold the baby there and many of you, if you've, you've had children yourself, there's certain things that you, you want to experience again and you never want to forget. You hold that child for the first time. And I remember my my wife having a C-section, holding my son Caden and allowing her to see him for the very first time and her looking across and, of course, her physically being able to move. And she looks across and goes, hi, baby. 
and certain little phrases and all of the pain over the last nine months, all of the things that she said to me and about me (laughs) were quickly forgotten. And a few months later, when you're all healed up, they go, I'm ready for another one. And there's something weird about that. But it's that labor and that toil, it's worth it, isn't it? As you hold that child, as they they grow and develop and you celebrate and you look back upon that day. So really, birthday should be happy giving birthday to the mothers. It's worth it. There's a question I want you to think about with God's work as hard work is that what is God asking you to remember? He makes that you statement. He says, you remember, you remember how much we labored and we toiled. What is it that God wants you to remember? There's some practical application from this. If it's worth it, let's think about some things really practical in our lives. And I'm not here to step on anyone's toes. But at the same time, is let's be really, really practical. Husbands and wives. The marriage, it's hard work. But it's worth it. Marriage, the vows that you make, and, and you've stood, and people have even stood right here. And they've made marriage vows to one another, and they stand there with all the hopes and the dreams, and it's a joy to stand about right here and as they share their marriage vows and they make their promises to one another. And before they make their own marriage vows, and oftentimes people write their own, they have statements. And there's a traditional one, the the I do statements or the I will statements. You know, do you promise to love and to cherish, to to honor and obey from this time forth, to death do us part? And they nervously say, I do. Not understanding or knowing what the future is going to hold. They just make those promises to one another. And they make promises to love and honor and obey. And that's hard work. They make promises to be faithful and to encourage and to support. That's a lot of work. And we see in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5, we see an example given to us by God. So therefore, when we make these vows, rather than going, this is just hard work, I better work really, really hard, we look to God and say, who's our example? The scripture says in verse number one, therefore be imitators of God. What kind of love does God give to us? And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That same passage in Ephesians chapter number five continues on. And if you go down to verse number 22, to husbands and wives, and it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. And it goes on in verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, if you heard the word submit and you went in your stomach and got tight, you don't understand the the, the meaning of that word submit. If you read that word submission and think oppression, that's not what that's talking about at all. What that is talking about, the word submission, and the next part of that is husbands love your wives, but it's not just love her when she's lovable or love her when she's doing what you enjoy doing or love her because she feeds you. It says love her just like Christ loved her and gave himself for her. What did Jesus Christ do? He says, I'm going to do absolutely everything for us. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to take your sin upon myself for you. 
So if you think the word oppression there, you have the incorrect definition. Uh, maybe a, a better way uh, to, for us to understand that is to think of gears. When two gears are working together in harmony, you can move very quickly, but also you can move great amount of weight when the gears work together. But if you've ever been with an L-plate driver driving a manual car, when the gears don't quite work together, and you hear that crunching and a grinding of the gears, and when they don't mesh together, they fight with one another, things begin to break, horrible sounds take place, and that's what it was talking about here. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, and also the other side is husbands love your wives. It's working together in beautiful harmony. Is it hard work? Absolutely it is, but it's worth it. We see that with parents. And sometimes as parents, now realizing my children are in the room also, so I will say this kindly, but sometimes we think, why do we have kids? They are a lot of work, and they're expensive. And I'm thinking, oh, finally we're out of the nappy stage. It's going to get cheaper. <laughs> but it doesn't. And we often think to ourselves, there's a second point that we have parents, and it says in, in chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My children hurt my feelings a couple of years ago now, and I haven't forgotten it. <laughs> we were around the kitchen table one evening. They were impersonating different things, and then they decided to impersonate Dad. And as they impersonated Dad, I expected them to come up with wise words of wisdom, great great truth and instead they go let's be dad and they, they started impersonating me and saying stop doing that shut your mouth when you chew uh, get your elbows off the table all these things that are good things that they i'm glad that they actually really do have them in their mind it's working but they mocked me to my face so there's two things i learned <laughs> i need to give them more material to work with and then secondly i also need to Make sure that when I'm showing them as an example, I better be showing them the right things. And there's times when you think, I'm tired. It's a lot of work. But this is not my work. This is God's work. And if I'm performing God's work, and I'm, as it says there, going back to verse number 12, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory if we are working and doing god's work it's going to be hard work but that hard work is worth it now i talked about husbands and wives i talked about parents now children we look at children in that same passage in the book of ephesians talked about it in chapter number six verses one and two it says children obey your parents that's a great verse to teach your children Children, obey your parents. How would life be different if we just lived that one out right there? In the Lord, for this is right. And it says, honor your father and mother, which quotes the Ten Commandments. And then it goes on and gives a promise. Basically, if you want to live long on this earth, obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. Now, I realize, I'll speak on behalf of all parents, there are no perfect parents. But I'm yet to find the perfect kid either. As we recognize that we are all 
growing and being molded and shaped by God. There are times when your parents probably have to come to you and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Or change course. We were going down that way and we found out it was the wrong way, family. So therefore, we're going to go and turn and now we're going to go the correct way. But there's also the other side of that is that you can, as a child, live in what's a horrible word called rebellion. And a, a rebellious person is very, very hard to lead. As a parent, I'm grateful for wonderful children, so I won't use them as an illustration here. But rebellion says, I, I know I'm going the wrong way, and I don't care. I'm not going to turn. I'm not going to change. I'm going to hope that this wrong way somehow makes it to become the right way. And the rebellious life will always lead you to destruction. That's why the beautiful thing it says, children, obey your parents. But the next phrase, it says, in the Lord. You see, as your parents are seeking to follow God and to guide you, that's exactly where you should be looking you should be looking to the Lord and following your parents as you work together. The next part down there to make it practical application is employers and employees. And some of you have been on holidays for a while and you forgot you have to go to work. And maybe tomorrow you return to work. The Bible uses the word bond servant. Some versions of the Bible use the phrase bond slave. And maybe that's the way you think about when you go to work, that you were under slavery. But there's two things we see in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6, talking about some practical. This is not just working for a paycheck. This is not just because I have bills to pay. This passage teaches us that we're working and doing God's work even when we're doing the practical work of our general employment. So it talks about two things. It talks about an employer, but also it talks about the employee. It begins with the employee. It says bond servants. That's an old way of saying a person that has agreed to a contract and now fulfilling a contract of employment. Obey your earthly masters as you would Christ, rendering service with goodwill. And here's the key phrase, as to the Lord and not to man. So when we go to work tomorrow, I realize that you may not be that excited about it. But to put in your mind, I'm doing God's work here. I'm working for God, not for man, not for other people. Because God's work, though, it's hard work. And it goes on. And I think if, you're an, if you are an owner or a manager here, now the Bible talks to you and it says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. So if you work on, on, a, on a site where you have, you have apprentices, so stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Now, now we're working for the big picture. We're working and doing God's work, not just mankind's work. And there is no partiality with, the, with him. We're called to do God's work. The Apostle Paul lived that out Over, almost 2,000 years ago. He was in this real city called Thessalonica, and he was working hard. Where he had been previously, he had been persecuted, and now he's coming into this town, and he's working hard, and he's encouraging this church and saying, God's work is hard work, but it's worth it. And I want you to stick that in your mind. 
And maybe you don't see that right this moment, but maybe on Wednesday morning, you're going to be sitting there at work or sitting there with your family, dragging your kids to school for the first day of school if they're starting on Wednesday, and you're thinking, this is hard work. God's work is hard work, but it's worth it. And I want you to mold that around in your mind, and hopefully you need that this week. So the question I asked you before was, was what is God asking you to remember? He's reminding you that God's work is hard work. In what area of your life do you need to be reminded of that? And then it goes on to another W word. After work is the word walk. Walk, it's God's call to walk worthy. It says in verse number 12, We exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Why? Because he calls us into his own kingdom and glory. There's a key word there is the word calls. And if I did a little research on that word, and to put that into perspective as in the tense of the word, it's not the past tense as in God called you to walk worthy. And sorry, that was a past thing. He did it one time. And it's not a future thing where someday he will call you to walk worthy. And someday in the future you can do that. It's actually in the present tense. So every moment of every day, he is continually calling us to walk worthy. Why? Because God's work is hard work, but it's worth it. So therefore, we need to walk worthy of his calling. It's in the present tense. So every moment of every day, he's saying, you can do this. We, let's do this together. God's not calling you. Let me rephrase that. God is calling you to move beyond your negative past and toward God's will to be done. But it's not just in your life, but it's also in the world around us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, this is what's known as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We begin to change from thinking short term to now we're thinking eternal. We're thinking big picture. What an honor it is to be part of God's big picture plan. And you may think to yourself, and you may be in a position right now where you're feeling totally overwhelmed. We can't do this. And God says, I agree, you can't. Let's do this together. So the, the question before was, what is God asking you to remember? The question now is, to what is God calling you? God is always going to call you to something bigger and greater than you can handle on your own. I've never personally experienced God's calling to say, Michael, you're doing too much of my will. I've never discovered that. I've, I've never experienced that, so I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's calling us and molding and shaping and equipping us along the way. And there's three words the Apostle Paul uses. And you imagine this young church, they're learning things and they're hungry for the things of God. And he uses three words. The first word he uses is the word exalt. He says in verse number 12, we exhorted each one of you to walk in a manner worthy of God. That word exhort literally means to be called up, to be called near. It uses the, the mentality of a soldier. When a soldier is waiting for the battle to begin, they can sit back there, they can do many different tasks. 
In the old days, they would have the trumpet go. The trumpet sound, and the soldiers would have to get up and get going. Today, in, in modern days, if there's a bombing raid or something happening, they have the, sound, the siren, they have the... Or whatever the sound is. You can do that at home. It's, it's fun. Now, as a soldier, you can hear that call and you physically have the ability to ignore it. You can say, I can hear that we are being called up to battle, but I'm busy. Or, I shouldn't yawn because I make you yawn. I'm tired. I was up too late last night. Or, I have other things to do right now. And the siren is going, calling to battle. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 4, it says, No soldier entangles in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It's much like um, if you've experienced a person choking, and one of the most horrible things as a parent, and I'm sure it's horrible to, be, to actually be physically choking, but I can think of it from the side of watching someone and seeing someone choke. I've never seen someone choke and go, oh, that's nice, and continue my eating and totally ignore it. If, if nothing else, it forces you to stop and to look and to say something of danger is happening right now. And if you're a mother, like my wife, she jumps up out of the chair, she starts the different things or whatever the, the latest thing is. It's not the Heimlich anymore. It's whatever the next latest thing is. And you're watching them and you're making sure that they're patting them on the back and getting, trying to make them breathe. Because it's not like you can say, but you know what? We'll handle that tomorrow. Someone's choking. That verse says, we exhorted each one of you. You've been called up. You've been called in a way of saying, you can do this. You're not being called up to failure. You're being called up by God, and God's work is hard work, but you're being reminded that you're being called up to a battle to walk worthy of God. When you're in danger, or someone that you love's in danger, there's no time to delay. I warned my mother that I was going to tell the story, but she doesn't know which story it is. A number of years ago, I probably was 10 years old, which means my younger sister would have been about eight years old. And we were actually visiting the U.S. as a family, and we were traveling around, and my, my parents had, had stopped in at a church that they were familiar with, and this church had a, a little apartment that we as a family were staying in. And many churches have little houses that they would have people stay in as guests. And we were staying in this old little uh, house, my sister had gone into the bathroom and closed and locked the door because of privacy. We're sitting there in this little tiny house, and all of a sudden you hear, and water starts going, and our crash starts. We all jump up, and my sister goes, Wah! behind the door, and my mother, the door's locked. She goes up, tries the door. She goes, boom, one smashes through the door the second time like a rugby player. She smashes through the door to find my sister lying on the floor and the, and the sink that had been connected to the wall had, had come off and, and, and is laying down on the ground. And my mother, of course, picks up the thing, <laughs> throws it off, and, and comforts my sister. It's amazing what you can do when your child is behind the door crying. You can smash and break doors. <laughs> Just watch out for my mom. But it's also... Because you've been called up for something. Everything else doesn't really matter. She wasn't worried about her hair. She wasn't worried about embarrassing herself. 
She says there's a call to action. I better get up and do it because God's work is worth it. The next thing we see is the word encourage. That's the word build up. We see the Apostle Paul says, we've exhorted you, we've called you up, and now we're encouraging you, we're building you up and saying that not only can you do it, keep on going. The hardest thing sometimes is to keep on going. You said, I've tried this before, I'm getting tired. The Bible uses the term, become weary in well-doing. He says, we encourage you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Something wonderful about going to like a Christmas presentation with little children on the stage. And on the stage, oftentimes, the, the lights are in their eyes and they're bright, so the kids can't really see the crowd. And the crowd of hundreds of people, and your little eight-year-old is sitting up there with the, the class ready to do their performance, and they're looking across. And you know exactly what every single student is doing. They're looking for their parents. And the parents are doing all these funny things, waving and trying to make themselves seen by their child. But the problem is every single parent is doing exactly the same thing. And all these waving parents, and they're looking across, and you know exactly what's going to take place. They look across the, the crowd, and then they see their parents. And you can see the smile on their face, and they do the little tiny wave as they stand there. And the parents finally sit down. And there's an encouragement of, you can do this, keep on going. It's an encouragement of, they're going to run faster, they're going to sing louder, they're going to be able to do it because they're being encouraged. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, keep on going, keep working, you're doing well. Then finally, we see in, in that verse, the word charged. That word charged literally means to speak up. He's saying, I can hear you. I can hear that what you're doing is making a difference. God's work is hard work, but it's worth it. And I can hear that you're making a difference. I've already exhorted you and called you up. I've encouraged you and saying, keep on going. And now I'm saying, speak up. That word charged literally means a testimony. It's saying you have something to share. If you were brought into court, you were asked to give your testimony. You're asked to say, what are the facts? What's happened in your life? He says, you've been charged. Walk in a manner worthy of God. You have to speak up. You have something to say. And many of us, we naturally focus upon everything that we don't know. We focus upon our inabilities rather than God's abilities. We get focused upon the work being hard work. In the book of Exodus, we have the account of the man named Moses from his birth and his miraculous God protecting him and saving his life to his life growing up. And after uh, he's now a man is about 80 years old. And he's been in the wilderness taking care of sheep for the last 40 years. He's got into the routine and he's probably thought in his mind, I tried to do God's work a long time ago, and it just hurt. And it was hard work, and it was overwhelming. And if you're familiar with that passage in chapter 3 and chapter number 4, God calls and, and talks to Moses through a burning bush. And God speaks to him, and Moses' life is forever different as a result. But Moses still had to filter through the things that God was telling him through his own natural inability. 
And God had told Moses that he was going to lead his people, the Israelites, out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the promised land. Now, at that time, Egypt was the world's superpower of the day. They were the strongest nation. And how is little Moses, who's now an an 80-year-old man, going to lead all these people out? And even as an 80-year-old man, he still began to think and, and said, God, can you get someone else to do it, please? And God says, no, you're, you're, you're the right man. And Moses began to give excuses. And he gave a number of excuses through that passage. But one of the great excuses that I think we can all relate to, he says, but God, I have a thick tongue. He basically is saying, I, I can't speak in front of people. I'm not good. I mean, I'm great with the sheep but don't put me in front of people. And God says, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? So in other words, he's saying, I know exactly about your thick tongue. I made it. I know all about your abilities and your perceived inabilities. I know I made you. And he goes, and this is God talking. Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. You would think after that charge from God, Moses would go, absolutely, God, you were right. I'm sorry. I'm ready to go. But in fact, Moses continues to argue and says, God, you, 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 you know, I can't speak. And so God, as a concession, says, you're, you have a brother. His name is Aaron. He's a couple years older. Aaron will be your spokesman for you. And when you go, bring Aaron along with you, and Aaron will speak for you. And Moses was, was, said, okay, God, I can do that part. I can do all these other things, but I can't do this. And, but you know, is it really remarkable? Every single time we see Moses speak before Pharaoh, when he makes those famous things like, let my people go, those sort of statements, it's not Aaron talking, it's Moses. Every single time we see Moses speaking, he's not Aaron, it's Moses. God kept his promise. Moses didn't have the belief, but God knew, and God protected him, and God guided him. So he's charged him to speak up. What is God calling you? To what is God calling you? You may be thinking to yourself, he's calling me to walk worthy, but I can't because... Dot, 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 and you finish off the sentence. Let me challenge you with that statement I started at the very beginning of the message with. If God is speaking to you, you should listen. If the creator of the universe says, I have something for you, but God, it's hard work. God's work is hard work, but it's worth it. And he comes along with us and he challenges us and he says, I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to call you up. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to charge you to speak up. And then from that, imagine the impact that God can make in and through your life to your family, to your workplace, to our community, and ultimately to our world if we simply say, God, If you're speaking, I'm going to listen to you. What kind of impact can he make? 